Dateline, Salt Lake Telegram, June 8th, 1928. Quote, Sears Roebuck to enter Salt Lake Territory. Sears, Roebuck & Company enters Salt Lake and leases the Auerbach Furniture Annex as a site for retail department store that will open during August. Directors of the enterprise are L.H. Easton, Salt Lake Manager, C.R. Crook, Los Angeles Southwest District Manager, and J.L. Gurney, Manager Retail Stores in the Southwest District. End quote. I'm Wendy. This is Demolish Salt Lake and the story of the Salt Lake, Sears, and Roebuck stores. Hello, and welcome to episode 18. I want to give a shout out to Nathan and Nelson for joining my Patreon. Thank you both so much for your support. You can find the link to my Patreon in the show notes or in my bio on social media. I would love to have you join me over on Patreon for some bonus content. So check that out. A few weeks ago, I was talking to my husband about the vacant Sears building at 800 South and State Street in Salt Lake. I wondered out loud if it would make for a good episode. He said it was just a square, windowless building. What could be interesting about that? I took the challenge, dived into the research, and what I found is culminated in this episode. So let's dive in. How about we start with a quick history of Sears? In 1886, Richard Sears, a railroad station agent in Minnesota, started selling watches as a side business. The next year, he moved to Chicago and hired watchmaker Alva Roebuck. Together, they started a catalog business selling watches and jewelry in 1888. In 1893, the company officially became Sears, Roebuck, and Company. During this time in the late 1890s, Roughly two-thirds of Americans lived in rural areas and had limited access to mass-produced goods. Sears filled this need with their mail-order catalog, which allowed rural families more options than their local general stores and at a much lower price with delivery often included. The catalogs contained more than 500 pages of goods. I cannot imagine how much that catalog weighed. Examples of goods were clothing, shoes, furniture, kitchenware, bicycles, and even prefab homes. Chicago clothing manufacturer Julian Rosenwald bought the company in 1895. Sears stayed on as president, but Roebuck resigned stating poor health. Rosenwald needed capital for the rapidly growing business, so in 1906, he sold stock on the open market, and Sears has been publicly traded and owned ever since. There is no doubt that Sears has had both an economic and cultural impact on our society. In the summer of 1928, Sears announced it would open a retail store in Salt Lake City. According to an article in the Salt Lake Telegram in June of 1928, the store would be located in the Auerbach Furniture Annex at 279 South State Street and would carry most of everything listed in the catalog. It was to employ between 400 and 500 people. Renovations of the space began in July with hopes of opening in the fall. On September 1, 1928, around 38,000 people attended the grand opening. Visitors explored the 42 departments of the two-story store. An article from the Salt Lake Telegram announcing the grand opening quoted C.R. Crook, general manager of the Southwest District, saying, quote, We are greatly pleased with the response of the people of Salt Lake and the Intermountain region. The fact it was much better than we expected. 
Many of our old friends who have been doing business through our mail order branches were on hand to welcome us to this section, end quote. With the opening of this store, Sears joined a number of other department stores already in Salt Lake, such as Auerbach, Walker Brothers, Zion's Cooperative Mercantile Institution, or ZCMI, and Keith O'Brien. The term department store first appeared in the New York Times in 1888. These early stores had a variety of small departments ran mostly by men. In the 1890s, ready-to-wear clothing started appearing in stores, which was a game-changer for women. As this industry increased, middle- and upper-class women were hired more and more as stylists, in advertising, and as buyers. Lower-class girls and women moved up from factory jobs and domestic work to positions as clerks, which helped them increase their socioeconomic status. Ready-to-wear fashion changed how people dressed. It led to more casual clothing for every day and increased how quickly styles and fashions changed. Department stores helped women gain their freedom in other ways, too. There weren't many places for women to socialize outside the home. There was this perceived threat to women's safety in cities. Upper and middle class women were to have chaperones when they ventured out. Many public places did not even allow women, and lingering on the sidewalk and window shopping was strictly forbidden. Department stores changed this by giving women a safe and acceptable place to shop. Suddenly, women realized that shopping could be fun. To keep women in the stores longer, bathrooms, lounges, tea, and lunchrooms were added. Soon, other public spaces once closed to women opened up. With this newfound mobility, women found economic power too. More and more jobs were created for women, and it became acceptable for single women to live and work outside of their parents' home. Over the years, women became the primary consumer for their families. Herbert S. Auerbach, owner of Auerbachs, said this about Sears coming to town. Quote, We welcome Sears, Roebuck, and company to Salt Lake. Their coming marks an important step forward for the business of the city and state, and we feel that Salt Lake is to be congratulated in being selected along with other leading business centers of the United States as allocation for one of the great Sears, Roebuck, and company. I am particularly pleased that executives have selected the intersection of State Street and Broadway for their location of the store because this bears out our contention that this intersection is the great shopping center of Salt Lake, end quote. Sears carried dry goods, ready-to-wear clothes, paint, hardware, bathroom fixtures, automobile tires and accessories, and labor-saving home appliances. The Davis County Clipper had this to say about the store in April of 1932, quote, A true joy can be found in a shopping tour of this store, where every effort has been made to make this store one of the services to our people. The management and sales force are thoroughly familiar with the stock in every department, and you will find them courteous, accommodating, and highly efficient, end quote. By this time, Sears had expanded to stores in other cities in Utah, such as Ogden, which is north of Salt Lake, and Provo, which is south of Salt Lake. Just six years after opening the Salt Lake store, Sears announced it was moving from the Auerbach Annex to the former Walker Brothers Dry Goods Company at 310 South Main Street. Now, if you are from Salt Lake, the last name of Walker should sound familiar. 
The family was one of the wealthiest in Utah. Brothers David, Joseph, Samuel, and Matthew made their money from their dry goods store, mining, and banking. The Walker Bank building, built in 1911, still has a prominent place in downtown Salt Lake. The Walker Brothers Dry Goods Store was built in 1891 by architects William Carroll and Martin Kern. The three-story building featured nearly all glass along the main floor, highly ornamental carved stone, and Roman arched windows. It was also referred to as the Walker Brothers Mercantile Block. The store was labeled, quote, the largest and most exclusive store in Utah, end quote. When Sears announced its move, the building was owned by Metropolitan Life Insurance Company. In addition to a remodel of the interior, two more stories were added to the building, as well as a new entrance and elevator system. Sears would occupy the basement, first and mezzanine floors, and the other stories would be used as office space. J.B. Rose Construction was hired to oversee the construction. About $40,000 was spent for the remodel. When the work was completed, Sears had more than 40,000 square feet of cell space, 8,200 feet of stock storage, and an additional 6,800 square feet for other purposes. There was also an automobile tire and battery service station at the rear of the building. The new Sears Roebuck & Company store at 310 South Main opened on August 31, 1933. The layout was organized into 12 specialty shops, handling more than 48,000 items. As people gathered outside the store awaiting the opening, Mayor Louis Marcus said, quote, The opening of this store means another advancement in the development of Salt Lake. An investment of this kind by so large an organization as Sears, Roebuck & Company means they have complete confidence in the future of business life of the city, end quote. An article in the Salt Lake Telegram about the opening stated that the store was operating under the NRA agreement with all employees working not more than 40 hours a week and all receiving above minimum wage requirements. Now, I had to look up the NRA agreement. The National Industrial Recovery Act of 1933 was enacted by Congress in June 1933 and was one way President Franklin Roosevelt sought to help the country recover economically during the Great Depression. The National Recovery Administration was established to supervise fair trade codes and guarantee laborers a right to collective bargaining. It seems the employees of Sears took advantage of this bargaining tool. Over the years, Sears launched some iconic brands. A Kenmore sewing machine first appeared in the 1913 catalog. The first Kenmore washing machine was introduced in 1927 and the first vacuum cleaner in 1932. Sears acquired the Craftsman trademark and in 1927 sold its first Craftsman tools. In 1931, Sears founded Allstate Insurance Company. Allstate offered low auto insurance rates through its mail order catalog and later in stores. Sears divested its Allstate stocks to shareholders in 1995. By the time this new store opened, Sears operated more than 300 department stores across the country. Sears kept itself above water during the economic downturn of the Great Depression by selling dependable and needed staples instead of more fashionable items. Catering to customers who wanted a good value and had practical needs served it well during this time. At the end of the Depression decade, the number of stores had doubled. Sears had gained the loyalty of its customers. Now, as with any retail stores, Sears faced a number of thefts. 
In February 1938, one William Speedy Barrows, 42, was arrested on the theft of $50 worth of spark plugs at the store. Apparently, he did not live up to his nickname on that day. Wilford Miles Atwood, 22, of Salt Lake City, was sentenced to a term of 1 to 20 years in state prison by Judge Clarence E. Baker on November 29, 1941, for forging a $54 check at Sears. Apparently, a fellow prisoner testified against him at the trial. The jury only deliberated for 13 minutes before handing down the verdict. He applied for a pardon in 1942, 1943, and 1947. Unfortunately, the State Board of Pardon Application does not list if he was ever granted parole. On March 2, 1944, a Salt Lake Telegram article announced that the Sears building was sold to Samson Rosenblatt and Associates of New York for approximately $600,000, but that Sears would continue to occupy the building for some time. Just 21 days later, Sears announced the purchase of six acres of land at 754 South State Street in the South Central Business District of Salt Lake at the cost of $240,000 for a new store. A few months later, Raymond Joy Ashton was hired as architect and Jacobson Construction of Salt Lake won the bid for construction. Raymond Ashton worked with a number of firms throughout his career. Some of his notable projects are the Veterans Administration Hospital at 500 South Foothill Boulevard, Mountain State's Telephone and Telegraph Building at 70 South State Street, George Thompson Library, previously the Utah Museum of Natural History on the University of Utah campus, and Sprague Library at 2131 South Highland Drive. And along with Raymond Evans, designed the second Saltaire on the shores of the Great Salt Lake in 1938. Unfortunately, that Saltaire no longer stands. In conjunction with the design of this new store, Eugene A. Montgomery, a commercial artist from Chicago, was hired to paint 11 oil murals depicting the story of Utah. The Salt Lake Telegram in April of 1946 stated that, quote, Mr. Montgomery came to Salt Lake City to confer with A.W. Jenkins, Sears manager, Charles R. Maybe, chairman of the Centennial Historical Committee, Levi Edgar Young, president of the Utah State Historic Society, and Miss Marguerite L. Sinclair, Historical Society Secretary Manager. End quote. Now, a bit of Utah history here for those of you that aren't familiar with it. July 24th is Pioneer Day. This is the day that commemorates the arrival on July 24th of 1847 of Brigham Young and his followers to the Salt Lake Valley. It's a state holiday with lots of parades and celebrations. Sears was to open their new store in July of 1947, which was the centennial of Brigham Young's arrival. The murals were a nod to this celebration. The finished murals were 5 by 16 and were placed high on the walls of the building, each had a separate theme, which were the area before history, early exploration, trend toward the West industry, land of out of door, prodigality of riches, triumph of hardship, progress of transportation. This is the place. The glory of God is intelligence, except ye are one, ye are not mine. On a website dedicated to Eugene Montgomery's work, there is a page about the Sears murals with the wording from the original presentation pamphlet from 1946. It reads in part, quote, 
as our contribution to the centennial celebration of the settlement of the mighty state, we take great pleasure in presenting to the people of Utah a pictorial history of their homeland, a series of murals in which that history comes alive again under the skilled brush of Eugene A. Montgomery, noted muralist and portrait painter. We hope that your pleasure in the possession of these murals will equal ours in presenting them, end quote. Now let's talk logistics of this new store. There were seven departments, including wearables, auto accessories, building materials, appliances, farm equipment, home furnishing, and specialties. The building had three stories and 2,100,000 square feet of space. 85 public address system outlets throughout the building played soft music for the customers. It had modern air conditioning, an employee hospital, lunch counter, and escalators. It was touted as completely fireproof, complete with overhead sprinkling system. The store would employ about 1,000 employees. Outside, there was a 529-space parking lot and an auto service station. Regular hours were Monday through Thursday from 9.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Friday and Saturday from 9.30 a.m. to 9 p.m. On July 17, 1947, 20,000 people attended the grand opening of the $1 million store. Mayor Earl J. Glade cut the opening ribbon and gave an address, and so did H.W. Kingsley, vice president in charge of Sears Pacific Coast Operations. Now, this is a good time to talk about post-World War II consumerism and how Sears helped with this economic boom. Remember, we had just came out of a time of rationing during the war, and Americans were ready to spend money on big-ticket items like houses, cars, furniture, and appliances. Returning soldiers and their families were looking to purchase houses. Affordable cars, better roads, and new highways quite literally drove families out of the cities and into the suburbs. Residential construction companies kept busy building new suburban communities. And Sears was right there to outfit these new homes with the latest in appliances and household goods. Kenmore developed new lines of kitchen and household appliances such as electric ranges, garbage disposals, automatic washers and dryers, dishwashers, stand-up mixers, vacuums, and ironing machines in amazing colors like sunshine yellow, Malibu coral, and aquamarine. This helped households run more smoothly, which greatly reduced the amount of time women spent cooking and cleaning. In addition, the sales of television skyrocketed. With more people watching TV shows, Sears could advertise its goods to a larger audience. Making the shift from urban to suburban markets helped make Sears synonymous with the suburban shopping experience. Now back to our Sears store in Salt Lake City. Many of you reached out to share your memories of the store. Antonio told me that her grandparents met while working at the store. He was a stock boy and she worked at the nut counter and they courted on the roof of the store. Maria, like my family, started their back-to-school shopping there in the early 70s. Brandy worked in watch repair towards the end of the store's time. Rebel at Large Podcast mentioned that the store was a teenage landmark for many kids in the Salt Lake Valley. My mom shared her memories of my grandparents driving her and her siblings up from central Utah in the 40s and 50s to shop there. They always had to wear their Sunday best when they visited the city. By the mid-70s, Sears, along with other retailers like JCPenney's, controlled nearly half of all retail market sales. 
but new challenges were on the horizon. Target, Kmart, and Walmart, all founded in the early 60s, lured customers away. Upper and middle class shoppers turned to more luxurious department stores, while bargain seekers found lower prices at Sears. In 1991, Walmart overtook Sears as the nation's largest retailer. Sears discontinued its catalog just short of its 100th anniversary in 1993. In 99, it lost its spot on the Dow to Home Depot. Hedge fund creator Eddie Lampert bought control of Sears for $11 million and merged it with Kmart. Sears sold their signature tool brand Craftsman to Black & Decker for $900 million in 2017. The next year, Sears filed for bankruptcy. As of today, there are still some Sears stores open, but not in Utah. The Sears store at 754 South State Street closed in January of 2018. It has sat vacant since its closing. In late 2021, Intermountain Healthcare announced it had purchased the site for redevelopment to, quote, enhance healthcare services available to area residents, end quote. For many of us, the demolition of this building is definitely an end of an era. Now about those murals. Supposedly, they're still hanging in the vacant store covered by a dropped ceiling. There are some really cool people I know who are working to make sure that these murals are preserved and restored. I'll keep you posted about that. Make sure to follow my Instagram and Facebook pages at Demolish Salt Lake Podcast to check out pictures of the murals as well as all the Sears stores. You can also follow me on Twitter at Demolished SL Pod. If you like the podcast, please subscribe. Thanks for listening and I will see you soon.